0: One of the most promising areas for artificial intelligence research rests at the intersection of biology and medicine. That's where we found Robert Fertila, CTO and co-founder of AFRID Health. He and his team won an X Prize at the annual conference on neural information processing systems. He's worked on brain state classifiers, computer vision packages for autonomous underwater vehicles, and predictive models for cancer patients, just to name a few. In this episode, we dig into deep learning, neural networks, and hype-busting truths about the current limits of AI. Robert, thanks for joining us today. It's great to have you on. How about you just give a little intro yourself
1: it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so I'm Robert. I'm the CTO at Aphid Health. My background is in computer science and biology, so I love working at, right at the intersection of those two fields. Um, I've done a lot of deep learning for uh, magnetic resonance imaging, so these are sort of brain scans at the Neurological Institute here in Montreal. And yeah, a lot of the, the talks and outreach events that I do is to help inform uh, the public about, you know, the work that we do in AI, artificial intelligence, um, what are the limits?
0: So, okay, so you, you've done brain scanning and you're working in AI. Do those things, you know, connect? The first place I go is like, hey, you know, can we singularity style, you know, model the brain and and start to you know, make deep learning networks and neural networks and, you know, wh- where's where's the hype and science fiction versus you know, the real stuff now?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so in this current day and age, uh, AI sort of spread it out in this ability to look at unstructured data. So you mentioned like brain imaging, or text, or audio, or some sort of signals. And our ability to look through thousands of data points and be able to find these correlations, and be able to use that to predict some sort of variable, um, whether it is, you know, uh, is this cell here a, t- a tumorous or not? So any sort of things, are very specialized tasks. Uh, so we're not at the stage where we can sort of, you know, transfer all this knowledge the same way that we can sort of, uh, you know, what is common sense is actually a very difficult uh, topic to model. Um, so for now, the, the focus has really been in uh, leveraging these complex algorithms for very specific tasks. So whether it is, you know, being able to analyze brain images or an essay or listening to audio, recognizing voices. Um, they're often very specific tasks.
0: So that would lead me to believe that you're thinking about AI and and maybe all of us could could think about AI as, you know, sort of human augmentation, you know, not sort of this uh, replacement paradigm, you know, that in fact, you cannot artificially replace, you know, the common sense, right? There's no algorithm for that. And I imagine, obviously, you're working in in healthcare, medicine, there's got to be all kinds of manufacturing and business process, you know, implications? Um, w- what's, what's the state of the art there now?
1: Exactly. So right now, like what you said about, you know, AI, not essentially replacing, but augmenting. So the way we think about AI is like, it's, it's always a tool, right? It's a tool to help you get better at what your, your job is. So for, for, for our scenario, let's say a physician, right? Um, a patient comes in um, and then they're able to diagnose them like I know this person has depression, and then the issue is, you know, what is the best treatment? Like, you know, you'd have to read hundreds of pages, hundreds of papers uh, in the literature to be able to stay up to date. Um, whereas we can just have this tool right next to me that can sift through all of the, like, you know, hundreds of data points for this one patient, and be able to find these nonlinear correlations um, and say, you know, I think that, uh, like, my suggestions is like treatment A, treatment B, treatment C. Uh, these would be, you know the highest impact for this patient. It's, it's, it's always a tool. Um, it's, so it's not, it's not intended to, it can never sort of replace the doctor's professional decision-making. It's mostly just to augment them, to help sift through all that data for them so that, you know, they can spend more time with the patient and less time looking at charts.
0: And so how did, how did a tool like that, let's just focus on that particular application. How did it learn how to be close to correct on the things that it's telling you you know i mean it's it's some kind of uh, learning process like literally what is that like how does that get done
1: sure so right now if you take a look at all of the retrospective data that was collected through studies so these uh professionally coordinated studies of you know hundreds or potentially even thousands of patients where they would all go through the same protocol and essentially collect as much information about the patient as possible and so at the end of let's say two weeks or four weeks or six weeks um, everyone was given let's say the same treatment uh, and they would see at the end of that period that treatment period whether it worked or not and so what we can do is we can go back look at all of the data that was collected at baseline so at time step zero let's say and then at the next time step where they were checking to see if the treatment worked or didn't and essentially the the ai's a job is to take into account all of these features that were collected and being able to find uh, ways that they can interact with one another so that at the end uh, at this six-week period we can confidently say a, sort of a probability of whether or not this treatment will work and so oftentimes it's a way of you know how do you frame the question are you asking it what is what is the best treatment will this treatment work so all these different questions uh, affects how you design uh, your system. So this, again, comes back to how specialized um, AI is at this point. Um, so there's a lot of research going into the sort of multi-label classification. So for instance, you know we can predict what treatment would be good, but then we can also predict the sort of continuous variable of how much what was the dosage of this treatment. So we can, we can start to generalize the speciality of of the prediction you're trying to make, and, and it's it's been re- really fantastic.
0: So quite literally, what is the you know at some point an AI you know that, that's cool to refer to it as a you know sort of like a being, right? But I mean, what sure. what is it? You know, when we say we have an AI, what kind of sure. computer systems is that on? Um, you know, how is it how is it stored? How does its memory grow or or what have you, you know, like where, what's the actual nature of, of learning kind of in a, you know, computer environment? Sure. Uh, so AI is kind of an umbrella term for a lot
1: of, uh, of, a lot of uh, tools. So for instance, we had like expert systems where um, you would sort of specify what is the, uh, you know, what is the tree of decision that you would need to make? Um, and then we get into like linear regression, logistic regression. So simply, you know, attaching these, Correlation; these these coefficient weights to each feature, and then being able to apply this uh, mathematical function, or like a sigmoid function. I don't want to get too technical, um, but we have these different. So we have machine learning. So this is where you you come into contact with like support vector machines, um, you know, random forests. This isn't trees, uh, and like I mentioned, like logistic regression. And then we get into uh, what else? What has sprouted out more recently? which we refer to sort of deep learning. So it takes a lot of inspiration from some of the earlier works, but rather uh, simplifying it down to like one, what we call like an artificial neuron or a node that just applies a very simple function. It could just be like, you know, like an addition or a multiplication or something, a very, a very basic uh, operation. And then when you tie these together, um, let's say to one layer of these, so sort of one to one mapping to each of your features um, then each feature gets applied this some sort of operation. And then you can essentially approximate any, any like, function with that. And essentially, the more of these more layers you add, you have this, this, this notion of abstraction. So when you look at a picture, um, you can't just look at the pixels. You have to look at the context around it. So it's important that, you know, you can look at one, at one row of pixels, but it's important to, okay, now look at the, the row of pixels above and below it. And then, you know, sort of go from like a very close up view of it to like, you know, understanding that this, this set of pixels is an edge, this set of pixels is now a corner. And so you get increasingly abstract concepts. Um, and eventually you get like, oh, I'm actually looking at a cat, but it's a series of all of these little operations that you try to pick on. And so that's why it's, it's very interesting where um, essentially each one of these layers of artificial neurons is responsible for finding these sort of patterns. It's so to say, that, uh, I'll go back to the analogy for like uh, analyzing pictures. Uh, the first layer is sort of a glorified edge detector. So it's looking for basic patterns and edges. Um, and then the next layer takes what it's learned in the previous pattern, like the previous patterns, so like those sets of edges, and then starts to combine them. So now we have like curves and we have a little bit more uh, complicated edges. And then we go to the next layer where we have, you know, this here is an eye or like this here is an eyebrow. And so it's, it's always building off of what it previously learned. the deeper it goes into these layers of neurons. And then once you get to the end, you have, you know, what we call a latent space. So it turns what you input. Uh, it takes all the data that you input it and then turns it into something that it understand some sort of, I don't want to anthropomorphize it, but this tool will sort of take all this data at various levels of, of operations and eventually come down to a series of numbers. Um, so it's, those numbers are not interpretable by us, but at the end, it's going to take that and transform it into, let's say, for uh, trying to predict what is it that you're looking at. Um, and it's going to take that number and then just turn it into a probability. Um and so, yeah, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I imagine it takes on the learning mantle because that's essentially modeled then after way that our own brains work, right, from a, from a young age. So to, to categorize and, and bucket particular things and, and build upon those abstractions. So exactly. the whole model is based upon that, that neurological development. Very cool. Very exactly. cool. So along the lines of abstraction, I wonder, in the tooling space, you know as a developer, you know one conversation that I've had repeatedly um you know about blockchain, for example, is that you know there's this this missing sort of uh, tool set or building block set you know in the middleware that will allow someone who you know is a is a competent, let's say JavaScript developer or a competent you know, backend developer to start to access blockchain in in a way that it just, you know, it just is, it's just a protocol. It just does the things it's supposed to do. And I can rely upon that. Where do you see that in the machine learning and AI space? You know, at what point does it become abstracted enough, you know, that there's sort of anyone can take advantage of, of that, you know, as a service or as a consumable asset?
1: Sure. That's a great question. Um, So recently there's been a lot of push uh, from a lot of corporations and trying to make it easier to you know you have let's say uh, images and labels and then you would like to just it doesn't matter what you use just give me a model that will do that so uh, there's a lot of these web interfaces um, that would let you do something like that but in terms of uh, for, for the developers uh, you'll probably hear about some of the more major uh, deep learning frameworks like you know like PyTorch or uh, TensorFlow so these you know, they're heavily engineered to be easy to access the sort of abstract away all of those complicated operations I was mentioning earlier and sort of just let you think about what is your problem, what are you trying to predict, and then focusing on just improving the performance of this model. But say you would like to abstract even further about, you know, what if I don't know what the best model is or you know, I don't want to have to read hundreds of papers that are coming out you know, every, every month about what is the new state of the arts. Cause there's sort of like this, you know, this race to race to the bottom. And so there's been a lot of work in even uh, automating that procedure as well. So, you know, recent papers came out like at something called Adanet where you essentially put in your data and then you have your labels and it will automatically find the best network, the best uh, structure like architecture for you to optimize what is your loss so one of the most important things is uh, for a developer is understand you know what are they trying to maximize or minimize so what is it that they're trying to predict and then once you have the problem uh, like structured like that uh, you'd be able to use uh, use these sort of frameworks you know they're very well documented so any, anyone can sort of pick it up and and uh, go from there
0: fantastic thanks for doing that um, question I always ask you know sort of everyone as we as we wrap up, you know, obviously we're in the business of, you know, very senior remote engineers. And I always like to ask, you know, the, the tech leaders that we talk to, you know, if if you were tasked with hiring remote talent in a very senior sort of unicorn kind of way for engineers, you know, what are the, the factors that you would look at and, and how would you you know discern that? What are the heuristics?
1: So for me, it's I... When I interview someone, or like the person that I look forward forward to, um, is someone who sort of understands what they what they do very well. So I would off, oftentimes just like you know look over a CV, and I would like to like I have like a bit of a template, but I like to just. You know, dig really deep into some of their some of the projects that they worked on. Like one of my favorite questions to ask is like, you know, how they how they work, how passionate they are about what they're working on. I, I really appreciate it when someone can admit if they know something, if they don't know something, because that that really goes a long way. So just being blunt with someone is is definitely a skill I look I look forward to. It's a, it's a difficult one to develop, uh, to admit when you don't know something, but it it definitely helps with the whole team's growth, um, and just being truthful to one another is asking, you know, what makes you passionate about this pro- a project on their CV? So it doesn't matter which project that they're working on. They just sort of pick one. And I, I just like to listen to how they describe the problem. How is it that they solved it? What was the greatest challenge that they uh, that they encountered? How did they overcome that challenge? Um, so what I'm looking for is, is mostly just how passionate are they about what they, they were working on and seeing if they maybe reveal, you know, all of the complications that they, that they were working on, uh, that they ran into just... Um, I'm just looking for someone that's you know truthful about you know their capabilities what is it that they do know what is it that, that they don't know because it really does go a long way with you know building you know a, a solid team is if everyone's on the same page it's really just to take advantage of everyone's strengths
0: fantastic I love that well Robert thanks so much really appreciated the thoughts today and we're looking forward to promoting them to the audience my pleasure thank you very much
1: Thanks for checking out the Frontier podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gunio slash podcast to get in touch. We'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. See you next week.